Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But just one page over in Genesis chapter 3, we see the second preacher named Satan slither onto the scene and he cast doubt over what God has already said and he said, did God really say? There's always two preachers. And I want to suggest to you, my thesis this morning is this. The voice you listen to will determine the future you'll walk into. Let me say it again. The voice that you listen to will determine the future you walk into. So this morning, it's simple in uncertain times and chaos, in, in, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley low, whether you're in a, a place of uh, things going well for you. Nice to see you, Duran and Kirsty. Good to see you guys. Whether things are going well for you or things are really tough, I, I want to put the faith in our hearts this morning that, that we get to listen to one of two voices. And I pray that by the end of this faithful rising heart that you and I will have our ears inclined to the right one. So from this text this morning, three points, and then we go have some coffee together and celebrate Christmas. Thanks, Brett and Michelle. Teaming together. Will you, from this text this morning, will you give voice, will you listen to the voice of your failure or will you listen to the voice of his favor? Your failure or his favor? This text opens up on a scene where the angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you have found favor with God. The next line in my Bible, and I'm pretty sure it's in yours as well, says this, Mary, confused and disturbed, wondered what the, what, what the Lord, what the angel could mean. Now, I've pondered over this. What is, why was she confused and disturbed? Was it because there was an angel? Was it because that sunny, the, the, the bright shining light of the angel overshone Eskom's power? What, what was it in, in her heart that got her excited? Well, well, actually, she was confused and disturbed because the spiritual backdrop for this community, the spiritual backdrop was that for the past 400 years, God had been silent on his people. God has been silent. They call it the intertestimonial period. They call it the silent years colloquially. But that one page in your Bible, my Bible, there's the Old Testament, then there's the New Testament. And in between, there's one page that separates them. It's a blank page of mine. That one page from the end of Malachi to the start of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that one page represents 400 years of history where there was no present word of God. There was no scripture being written. There was no revelation being had of God's word breaking into people's hearts because for some reason, it seemed that God was silent. I propose to you, was God silent or had the people stopped listening? And what had happened in these 400 years was religion taken hold of God's people. People who once were the people of God became a people of religion as the Pharisees and Sadducees took sway of society. And they, they poured guilt and shame and heaped it on people. Why? Because they kept reminding them of Babylon, which we've been preaching about in Daniel, that actually a nation has been in da- Babylon. They said, actually, we must never forget the shame of Babylon. You must never forget the guilt of Babylon. And a nation became weighed down and bogged down with a nation's failure. And and every week in and week out, the Pharisees and Sadducees whipped them, lest we forget of how far we have sinned and ashamed God. That is why he's quiet on us. A spiritual backdrop of oppression and guilt and shame was upon the people. And Mary found herself in this society. And she has this moment where the angel says, you are favored of God. And she has this opportunity to lean into the nation's uh, failure, the nation's brokenness, the nation's shame. But this is not how it works. Or an opportunity to lean into the afresh, the new favor that God is declaring over her life. Mary had that opportunity in that moment. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning, this is not just some spiritual or, or biblical narrative. This, I believe, echoes in every human's heart. 
the great author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes fame. He, there's, an, there's an anecdote about him that he once, he was a great prankster, and he once wrote uh, 10 telegrams, uh, and he sent it off to the 10 lords of London at the time. And it, all, it didn't have a name at the bottom, it all it had was two lines, and on it it said, all has been discovered, flee at once. The next morning, all 10 had disappeared from society. <laughs> this, is, this is something that I think gets a chuckle in the heart saying, because people are living with these secret shames and failures. But I want to put to you this morning, it's not too far, it's not too far a cry from what's in our hearts. I, I remember countless times I battled with an, a secret addiction of internet pornography for many years growing up. And I remember the fear that would grip my heart every time my parents would open up the computer because I'd go start racing, have I deleted the internet history? And a fear, sweaty palms are going, I really hope that they haven't found out what, what I've been doing. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're, you're frantically, you had fear in your heart going, have I deleted those SMSs I don't want my spouse to see? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I, I need to move some money around quickly before the family realize I've spent the money in the wrong place. I don't want them ever to find out. Maybe it's not just what you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. But you carry the shame. And maybe it's not that hidden. Maybe it's obvious to everyone. And, you, and you're saying, actually, I'm not hiding. I'm just uh, but I'm bowed over. And, and maybe it's something that hasn't happened. Maybe you're sitting there with, why haven't I fallen pregnant when friends left and right of me are, are falling pregnant? Should, should be, should, that should happen. Why haven't I been proposed to? Why, why did he leave me? Why am I in the same position at work and everyone else is getting promoted? And this, this sort of shame, and I think many of us can't walk into the favor God has for us because we're still walking around and dragging behind us the failures like that old piece of toilet paper that's stuck to our shoe that we just can't shake off. No matter what we do, that, that shame, that thing, that just the failure just follows us around. This morning I want to tell us and understand the dynamic of the second preacher that the enemy's number one tactic, Satan's number one tactic in your life, believe it or not, is not temptation. He's pretty good at that. But I want to tell you that the enemy's number one job is not temptation, it's accusation. How do we know that? Because in Scripture he is called the accuser of the brethren. It says night and day he never stops accusing those who God has elected. The enemy accuses us. And, and, and what does he use? He uses two tactics, left, the left hook of guilt he, he gets us on the, the, the ropes and he just, just pummels us again and again with the left hook of guilt. And what guilt is, is a reminder of what you have done. You failed. You messed up. You disappointed. You're an addict. You kept, and just kept on and keeps pummeling us against the rings as we punch drunk and we, got, we don't have any energy to get back. And then just when he's got us on the ropes, he comes with his right hook, his, his other trick called shame. And shame, guilt is what we have done. Shame is that he reminds us that actually what you've done is who you are. Yeah, you, you, you've fallen into a, tr- a pattern of sin, but actually not just falling into a pattern of sin, you're an addict. This is who you are. You, you, you messed up once um, uh, and you cheated, but actually, no, you're, you're, a, you're an adulterer. And it starts to form our and fashion our identity around our, you are your sin. <coughs> he gets us with guilt and shame again and again, the accuser of the brethren. But we have to understand something about God's favor. Let me explain God's favor to you this morning. God's favor is dependent on His nature not yours. God's favor is based on his victory, not on your history. God's favor is received, not achieved. Why this is so important for you and I is there's an implication 
for us to give ear to the voice of favor, not the voice of our failure, we have to get rid of would have, could have, should have language. It's a language of condemnation which is underscored by the passivity of regret. It gets us on the defensive against the ropes and we just give in to the left and the right hook. I would have done it differently. I could have. I should have. And actually, we've got to get rid of that language because here's the truth. You cannot unsin. What is done is done. I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could take that action back. You cannot unsin, but you can repent. You can't. The would have, could have, should have. You can't anymore. But to give ear to the voice of his favor, we repent. I want to tell you what repentance is. Repentance simply is not wallowing in your failure. It's rejoicing in his favor. It's not whipping yourself and saying, I've got to carry this on. No, he says, I carry it. That's my favor. Will you give ear to your failure or to his favor? Second point this morning, will you give ear to the voice of your doubt or the voice of your destiny? The voice of your doubt or the voice of your destiny. You see what happens? The angel appears to Mary. He says, your favorite saying, he says, you are chosen. You are chosen, Mary. And Mary's first response here is, how can this be? I am a virgin. I'm a virgin. Biologically, it makes sense, her, her, her reasoning. But actually, behind it wasn't just a biological disqualification. It was a whole, a whole backload of history and socioeconomic situation going on here. Mary had two things. She was a, she was a woman. And she was from Nazareth. Let me explain this to you. A woman in that society, they were, women were excluded from most forms of public spiritual life. Excluded. Spiritual moment, just the men. Thanks, girls. We'll tell you what goes on here. Women were actually forbidden. They were not permitted to study the Torah. So I would love to study the Torah. No, no, actually you can't handle the Torah. You can't read it. Men will read it to you. They'll tell you the implication. So women in terms of spiritual things, they're on the back foot. And an angel after 400 years, the first spiritual activity that they've seen for 400 years happens to a woman. Not just any woman, a woman from Nazareth. Now let me tell you why Nazareth is a key thing for us to understand here. Nazareth was a backwater hillbilly town. It was the butt of the jokes. It's like an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Nazarene. <laughs> yeah. They were those guys. How do I know this? In, in Mark chapter 6, there was a colloquial phrase that was used when they say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. That wasn't just a one-time thing. In the phraseology of the day, nothing good comes from Nazareth was like a punchline of a joke. The, Nazar- the Nazarenes were just like, ah, that's us, I suppose, poor father. <laughs> if you're from poor father, thank you for being here. But uh, this is the understanding. She was a woman from Nazareth, so maybe nothing good, nothing good comes... Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, nothing good has come from 2017. Bring on 2018. I can't handle any one day more of this. Maybe you're saying, nothing good has come from my marriage. I'm out. I'm done. You know what? Maybe it'll be easier and better. The fight will stop the fights. Nothing good's going on. Let's get out of here. Maybe you say, nothing good has come from me being a church. I come and come and come. Nothing changes. Maybe you say, nothing good has come from my life. Here's the understanding I want to present to you this morning. Is Jesus wades into our mess and brings glory out of our chaos. He doesn't just bring order out of our chaos. He brings glory. You want me to prove it? All right. Okay, fine. The book of Genesis opens up on a scene. Genesis 1, there's three occasions where this is really clear, that this is the modus operandi of our God. In Genesis chapter 1, the scene opens up on chaos. The world is empty, formless, and dark, Scripture tells us. But it says, into that situation, to the nothingness of creation, God speaks and creation erupts into life. 
Everything that you see, everything that with your eye you see, the mountains, the oceans, the sky, the stars, every macro and every micro thing that your naked eye cannot even see, to the smallest thing of bacteria that we don't even know exists, God spoke that into creation out of nothing. No DIY kit, no manual, no Wikipedia search, nothing. God created out of that. Here's the next understanding. In Mary's womb, nothing biologically going on there. I'm not a doctor, but she was a virgin. There was no sexual intercourse, but this was the matter that actually God said, out of your nothingness, I don't need man's intervention. I don't need man's agenda and partnership in this thing. God is going to, into your nothing, he's going to breathe life. Here's a third understanding. Over a tomb that was filled with death and despair, a cross that was meant to kill and squashed the life of God into that thing. A stone was rolled away. Jesus rose to life out of a dead tomb. And Ephesians tells us that we were raised to life with Christ. When we were dead in our sins, when we could not even do anything, cry out to God, he said, I made you alive. Here's the implication for you and I. This is how God works. This is not about a cute and cuddly Christmas story. This is about an explosive Christmas glory. John, the book of John chapter 1 tells us, we have seen, we have beheld the glory of the one and only. And what is the glory of the one and only? John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word made flesh. Jesus Christ coming into broken lives. Jesus coming into our mess. Jesus coming into our insecurities. That is the glory of God, that he would use you and I. That he would come into our nothing and say, just wait, you haven't seen anything yet. That's the glory of God. He has the thought, we don't need to change our circumstances. He needs to change us. Here's the implication for point number two is, can we determine that our circumstance will not determine our response? Preach it to your heart again and again. Which voice will I give ear to? My doubts? I'm a woman. I'm from Nazareth. I'm divorced. I'm disqualified. I'm not good enough. Never enough. Or you give voice to his destiny that he's speaking over you. Third, and finally this morning, will you give ear to the voice of your fear or to the voice of his faithfulness? Your fear or his faithfulness. You see, Mary was engaged to be married. Now, for us, that's just a throwaway line. No, she was betrothed to be married. And in, in the Jewish culture, this engagement, this betrothal was, was, almost, was almost as close to marriage as you could get. She was, it was, she was almost sealed in covenant almost already. So much so, that if she, the, the, the fear that could have gone through her mind in this moment, when she said, you are pregnant, and it's not Joseph's. And she starts to try and work that out. Say, how am I going to tell Joe? I'm going to say, Joe, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit. He's like, yeah, I saw it on Jerry Springer last week. It's not working for me. <laughs> you know, trying to reason this thing. Can I tell you, in that culture, Joseph, as we find in Matthew chapter 1's account of the same story, Joseph said, I'm going to, I could, put her, I could divorce her quietly. Joseph had every right, just because she had been unfaithful, to walk away. And no one would have ever said anything bad about Joseph. Joseph, you had every right to do that. But if he did that, Joseph could leave her. She would be financially destitute. Because a woman who had been, who, who, that shame and that stain was on her would not have been touched by any other man. They would have walked away from that woman. This woman, that's the end of, her, end of her financial story and her future in that moment. More even seriously, the law even permitted adulterers to be stoned. And not, not the smoking behind the house. Stoned with rocks, killed. By law, they could have done this. So Mary in this moment, can you imagine the thought process? Mary, you're pregnant. Ooh, this thing could end badly. Maybe for you, sitting here, you've got a diary for, for next year, 2018. 
and you open it up and this page is there are filled with possibility and you're filling birth dates and a trip overseas and you've got exciting things happening. Or maybe conversely, you could be looking at that diary going, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I can't make it to the end of this year. How am I going to do next year? Another year of tough marriage. Another year of, of pushing through with my kids. And this, I can't just to get them through this year of schooling. has been hectic. And another year, 2018, another days to fill. And not, more days to wrestle with my anxiety and my depression and my loneliness. Uh, can I, if I be honest, when a little girl, Olivia, was born, um, well, when we found out we were pregnant, I remember that, uh, I've shared this here before, but the moment where all of a sudden the excitement was a little bit overshadowed my heart with fears. Because walking in a church, a pastoral environment, you hear stories of many miscarriages, many tough moments, many things that happen and, and the, the hope being crushed in moments. And I remember that fear coming, I remember saying to Fee, let's just, you know, let's just keep it quiet for a while, because I, I, let's make sure. And then, and as, as the couple, first couple of weeks went by, um, we, we're thinking and processing this thing, the, the normal response doctors say, wait, wait a certain number of weeks before you announce it, because there's a lot that can go wrong. Just emotionally, it's a better thing to keep it quiet for a while. And, and yes, legitimately, I make sure, legitimate, yeah, keep that fear. But this fear bubbled. I was worried, wondering, what's going on in there? Uh, and, uh, and what if, the what if started to leap in my heart. And, and, but God started speaking. I said, what voice am I letting dictate my life here? The voice of fear or the voice of failure? The voice of, uh, the voice of fear or the voice of his faithfulness, that God is faithful? And I remember we decided we were going to tell this community. And I, the Sunday I got up, and I probably didn't tell you it was that Sunday. But uh, we just went. But it was almost like a faith move. I got up and I said, we're pregnant with a girl. And I saw the death stare from my wife going, really? I thought we'd talk about this first. But once we got over the death stare, she was like, yeah, I'm in with you. Because for us, that was the faith move to say, actually, God gives life and we trust him. We trust him. And he has the understanding. Every time Olivia gets sick, can I be honest? My heart leaps in fear again. What's wrong? Fee, she's got a snotty nose. Let's go to Google. Bad choice. <laughs> but fear leaps in. And I, have, and I thank God for those early moments. We've had to learn say, God, I trust you with this girl. I trust your faithfulness. Faithful you have been, faithful you'll be. I'm not going to give voice to my ear every time the enemy wants to say, but what if? Here's this, the under, implication here is that we have this hope. As Hebrews verse six, chapter 6, verse 19 says, a great scripture. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It says an anchor, something that secures you in a storm. I don't know what storm you're going through. Maybe it's the fear of what next year will bring. Maybe it's, you, it's that, that fear that every time you see your boss walking in the hallways, you know he's just, he's just retrenched two other people because they didn't meet their targets. And you think, he's coming past my door. Am I, does today my day? And this fear, can I tell you, sir, ma'am, you've got this anchor for your soul. Not your fears. Give ear to his faithfulness. Maybe it's going, you just, what, 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 is my, what is my child? You've lost someone this year. And then you fear that phone call that someone else is going to phone and tell you bad news. Sir, ma'am, you've got an anchor for your soul named Jesus Christ. No matter the storm, no matter the chaos, you have this hope, which is an anchor for your soul. You don't have to give ear to your fear. You can listen to the voice of the Father. The question I want to ask this morning is, do you hear the opposition or do you hear the opportunity? Do you hear the opposition gnawing away? This is the potential, the, the potential downfall. Or do you hear 
the opportunity God is calling into you? Do you hear the chariots behind you? Or do you see and hear the Red Sea opening in front of you? Do you hear the Goliath taunting you and mocking you and calling into question your beliefs? Or do you hear the sound of him about to fall? Do you hear or see the fire getting hotter and hotter and the pressure getting deeper? Or do you see the fourth man in the fire coming next to you and saying, I've got you. The greatest he that is within you that he is in the world. Do you hear the opposition or do you hear the opportunity? Here's the kicker for you and I. Fear can only be silenced by faith. It can't be silenced by management. It can't be silenced by greater systems and, and things put people around me to maintain this. Fear cannot be mollycoddled. Fear cannot be kept in nice and in the corner, just there and tolerated. Fear can only be silenced by faith. And too many people have allowed fear to keep them locked in a corner for way too long. Allowed their futures to be shriveled up. Allowed their day-to-day living to be insecure. But here's the understanding. I love how the scripture ends. The angel Gabriel. Again, I say great name. God loves to use Gabriels. (laughs) But he says this. He says this to Mary. For nothing is impossible with God. He says over her failure, over her doubt, over her fear, he says nothing is impossible with God. Here's the thing. It doesn't say nothing is impossible for God. But that's a given. Nothing is impossible for God. Of course. But I've underlined the word with. Why? Because in that moment, the angel was saying, which voice will you partner with? I want to partner with you. Will you partner with the voice of your fear, your insecurities, or you partner with the future that I've got for you? With God, he's calling us into a divine partnership, calling us to embrace the voice of his favor, his destiny, his faithfulness. He's calling us to partner with him in impossible things. And here is Mary's response. Mary, who I potentially wrestled with the failure, potentially with the voice, wrestled the voice of doubt, potentially wrestled with the voice of, of fear. But Mary's response to this, this amazing moment said this incredible line, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. May everything that you have said about me come true. She gave ear in that moment to the first preacher saying, I hear and I see. I see the Nazareth story. I see the woman's story. I see the disqualifications. I know them. I'm not oblivious to them, but I choose your voice. In the impossible situation, I choose your voice. Which voice are you giving ear to in your situation, sir, ma'am? Because here is the truth. Hope has a name. It's not a philosophy. It's not a principle. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Hope is a person, his name is Jesus, and Jesus is speaking favor over every heart. He's speaking faith over every heart. He's putting courage in every heart. He's saying, will you trust me? I want to ask as we get, come to land. I'm going to call the band up very quickly as we land. Which voice will you give prominence to in your life? Which voice will you give prominence to in your life? Will you give voice and ear to the voice of your past, your failure, your rejection, your brokenness, your parents' mistakes, the lies that have been haunting you? Will you give voice to your present insecurities and doubts? I'm not enough. I've never been enough. I don't have enough in me for, for next year, for my family, for my situation. Will you give voice to your future fears? Or will you give ear and voice to the voice of hope? That is resounding out. Here's the scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart and go back to your failure. If you hear my voice today, do not go back. Yes, but you don't know what I've done. No, if you hear my voice today, soften your heart and watch hope erupt. 
Here's the implication is that the Son of God, Jesus, became the Son of Man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. This is the Christmas glory. Keep the Christmas story. I want the Christmas glory. It's not about mangers. It's not about wise men. It's not about the, the details. It's about what Jesus wants to do in our mess, in our nothing. He says, watch what I can do. Can we close our eyes, please? Before we pray, I believe this morning, during worship as well, my wife said to me in the end, they said, actually, I believe God is wanting, to, wanting people to turn their eyes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, but actually saying today, I've for too long been in and out, hot and cold, yes and no, like a Katy Perry song. Today, I want to say, I'm, I believe in you, Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you've walked away from him, You've walked away from Jesus. Today's your day to come home. He says, hear my voice. It's a voice not of rebuke. It's not a voice of anger. It's a voice of favor. It's a voice of destiny. It's a voice of my faithfulness. You are faithless, but I am faithful, he says. If that's you in this room, I'd love to pray for you. I will not embarrass you. All I need to do is just you put your hand up because the only thing that science fears is faith. And sometimes faith looks like something. Just put your hand up. I'm going to count to three, and I'd love to pray for you. That's all I'll do. But I trust as you hand them your nothing, God wants to do it. One, Jesus is here and he's speaking hope into the hopeless situation. Number two, he wants to do something in your life. Three, this is your moment to respond. Can you lift your hand up if that's you? I love to pray. Cool, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, today in this room, there's a number of hands that are are being put up but God you don't just see the hand you see the heart and you see hearts that may have gone through pain hearts that have been under the attack of the enemy for way too long of left and right hooks guilt and shame guilt and shame but today your voice comes and says my son my daughter but I'm a sinner you might say no but son daughter son daughter I pray in this moment Father God your voice your blood overrides the deepest shame your blood overrides the deepest guilt. Your blood speaks a better word. When the enemy's voice starts to bark, your blood speaks a better word. And your blood says, mine, forever. Thank you, God. Repentance in this moment, as these hands are lifted, repentance is not wallowing in failure or guilt. And repentance is saying, sorry for my past, God, but I'm turning to you for my future. I thank you, Father. You are bringing hearts to you right now. moment before we land. Can we stand to our feet? If you put up your hand, I'd love you to come after. If if you've got courage, come to me. I'd love to pray for you personally. It'd be a huge privilege for me. But in this moment, if you're saying, God, today, I'm choosing to listen to your voice above the voices of, of my past, my failures, my doubts, my fears, I'm choosing your voice in every moment, not my circumstance, but your voice. Can you lift your hand with me? I believe God just wants to pour a fresh load of courage into our hearts to be people who are obsessed with the first preacher. Father, right now, the first preacher is in this room and he is saying, favored in this room today. He is saying, destiny. Today, he is saying, my faithfulness. And God, it's not because of our goodness. It's because the greatest gift of this is that Jesus Christ was given to us. 
I thank you, God. We are favored because we have Jesus. We have destiny because we have Jesus. Father, we have your faithfulness because of Jesus. So, Father, today you're rooting us in your character and your goodness and your voice that you will speak. I pray over every situation, every financial stress, over every relational tension, over every guilt-stained heart, over every fearful and anxious mind, I pray your faithfulness. I pray your favor. And today, as the year winds up, you say, I'm just beginning. I thank you, Father God, that you're for us and not against us. We love you, and we lean into you, God, and we give ear to your voice. The voice that we listen to determines the future we walk into. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.